Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along what, on what is going to be a lovely day weather-wise, if you can get out and about at some stage and enjoy it, please do. Yesterday on the programme, I was chatting with uh, David Hall of the Mortgage Holders Association and we were chatting around how difficult it is for young people in particular to get onto the property uh, ladder. And uh, we were citing and uh, talking about a report that was out from the Banking and Payments Federation, which has shown that a solo house buyer would need to be earning €67,000. And as David explained, that really is only the tip of the, the iceberg because on top of having to earn €67,000, they'd have to also have had, obviously, a large amount saved for the uh, deposit. And even with earning €67,000, they still may not qualify for a mortgage big enough to buy a property. So it was just that sort of endless cycle of how difficult it is at the moment to buy a house. And he was making the point those that own their homes uh, are probably the ones that are feeling the luckiest at the moment because there's also, and I know we are, I think it's tomorrow we're going to be speaking with uh, Threshold on the programme, how people who are renting property, they've done a survey showing that over half of the people who are renting at the moment feel very vulnerable and very insecure in their property because they're terrified that they're going to get a phone call or an email or a letter from the landlord. So the whole housing market at the, at the moment, we really, we talk about crisis. We really are in crisis when it comes uh, to to the housing at the moment. But if you own your house, do you feel a little bit more secure? Uh, fine if you own your house and you've got the mortgage paid off, but if you're still paying off the mortgage, you can still be in very, very tricky situation. And David, who had been talking to us yesterday morning in the afternoon, he spent time uh, addressing and speaking to the Oireachtas Finance uh, Committee and actually at that meeting yesterday he said the central he accused the central bank of being fast asleep when it comes to helping what he described as mortgage prisoners now who are mortgage prisoners they are the people whose loans were sold on to vulture funds and they they are the people who had no choice about their loans being sold on to uh, vulture funds and David Hall explained to the Oireachtas Committee that the central bank really they are conflicted because they did encourage the banks to sell what they called non-performing loans and they encouraged them, sell them onto vulture funds, get them off uh, your books. So the banks did as the central bank told them uh, to do. But at the same time, surely the central bank does have a duty to protect customers. And that's what David Hall was pointing out yesterday. Now, at the committee meeting, there was also two homeowners. One of them was a lady from Cork, Gráinne Irwin, and there was a guy from Dublin called Jimmy Byrne. 
and they spoke. That's something I love about any of these Oireachtas uh, committees. They get people in to tell their stories and rather than having experts giving percentages of how many people are struggling or how many loans were sold on to venture capital companies, it's to actually hear people's stories themselves. So uh, Gronia, as I say, was from Cork and this Jimmy Byrne was from uh, Dublin and they both spoke about how their mortgages were sold on to vulture uh, funds and the mortgages are now managed by that group Pepper Finance that we often uh, hear mentioned when we get to talk about vulture uh, funds. They both explained that they had engaged with their bank their bank in both cases was permanent TSB. They both had faced up to their financial challenges. It wasn't that they were ignoring letters. It wasn't that they were burying their heads in the sand. They had gone into a restructuring of their payments. So they sat down with the bank permanent TSB and said, OK, what can we do? The bank said, look, we'll, we'll restructure. Uh, and despite keeping to all of the agreed terms of the loans, their loans were still sold on to uh, vulture funds. And of course, the problem with vulture funds is they charge some of their customers mortgage rates that can be doubled what is charged at your traditional bank. Some customers, for example, at the moment are paying interest rates of more than 9%. And then the customer's This is a kind of a new phrase that's been used for them. They're known as mortgage prisoners and it's it's a good description of them because they can't fix in and they can't move uh, lenders and they have to then accept any rates that they are being charged by the vulture fund that own their loan, which seems really, really unfair. So they are prisoners. They are locked into this mortgage. And it, it's estimated there's about 38,000 mortgage accounts that were sold on to vulture uh, funds as a vulnerable to rising mortgage rates. So that is a lot of uh, families. So Gronya Urban from uh, Cork told the committee that she and her husband have three children. They were offered a split mortgage by permanent TSB. Now, what unfortunately happened was Gronya lost her job. Uh, so they were offered this split mortgage. Now, a split mortgage is where payments are made on part of the home loan and then part of the mortgage is, is put to one side. Like they park it and the idea is that they, you will pay it uh, later. The mortgage was subsequently sold to a, the, a vulture fund managed by Pepper and the couple are paying an interest rate now of 7.25% on the active part of their mortgage. They have not missed a single payment on the active part of the mortgage. Uh, she spoke with the politicians yesterday and she has sat down with her husband and they've worked out the difference between the interest rates they're paying and the interest rates they would get at a conventional uh, bank. And they've worked out that they will end up paying €48,000 more over the lifetime of the loan. And that is a lot of uh, money. And she said that is how much extra a vulture fund is costing us. She said we want to fix in, but they won't look at anything like that. So then every time there's any kind of an interest rate, they can expect a letter or a phone call to say your mortgage is going up at the end of the month. She said her husband is working hard. He leaves the house at 25 past five every morning to go to work and the family are determined to keep the roof over their head and it is their home so they are determined to keep paying. She said we were sold down the river by our bank. We do, we did not deserve to be ripped off by a vulture uh, fund. And then the Dublin man Jimmy Byrne he also is dealing with Pepper. He said the vulture owner of his loan would not offer him a fixed rate either. He was trying to fix him. 
He said his mortgage had been sold a few years ago. Again, he was been after he was after being offered a split uh, mortgage, and uh, this was offered because, unfortunately, same as the Irwins from Cork, his wife lost her job during the financial crash. So suddenly, a two-income family, there's no problem paying their mortgage when the two-income goes down to one income, they get into difficulty. But they went in and spoke with their bank and came up with what they felt was a revolu- a, a resolution. He said Pepper Finance, who owns his uh, loan, he's asked them, how much did you actually pay for my loan? They won't tell him. And they also won't tell him who actually owns his uh, mortgage. He's worked for 20 years with uh, Dublin Bus. He said, I don't want to be treated any differently to anyone else. He said, all we're looking for is fairness. He said, we're looking for a fixed rate at a fair rate. So David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association, he was also at the Iraq this meeting yesterday and he said his group were getting multiple queries every day from homeowners who he said are crippled by high interest rates which have been charged by these vulture funds. He told the TDs and Senators at the Oireachtas Committee that tens of thousands of mortgages have been sold um, to vulture funds without their owners' consent. And I think that's the part that is really galling and is really, I think, upsetting to people because they're not even aware until they eventually get a letter in the post to say that their mortgage has been uh, sold on. He told TDs and um, Senators that in some cases it's actually unknown who then owns the mortgage. He said these customers have exhausted all of their financial reserves. He said having been gouged by high interest rates and that's when he accused the central bank. He said they're fast, as- fast asleep and he said they're horrifically conflicted. He said the central bank remained silent on any help on those affected and are, in David's view, not fit for purpose to protect the customers. And I think he makes a good point. They were the ones in the banks will come back and put their hands up and say, look, the reason we sold on all these loans was the central bank was encouraging us uh, to do it. But where is the central bank's duty of care to protect customers? You couldn't help but feel sorry for those mortgage holders who are now uh, mortgage prisoners and having the hope of being able to move away from the vulture funds until their mortgage is paid off and they will paid they will paid have paid off way more than if they were with a traditional bank. And a date for the diary for women of a certain age uh, has got to be Friday the 20th of uh, March because that's the date for the National Menopause Summit which is coming to uh, Cork and they're hoping to advocate for change and we here at C103 are proud to be the official media partners for this menopause uh, summit. The first such summit was held in March in uh, Dublin in the Mansion House and it was a huge, huge success so they've decided to travel with it and they are bringing it to Cork. It's described as a landmark uh, event. It's a packed agenda of knowledge, advice, support and content which is delivered by expertly curated panel of speakers. There will be moderated panel discussions and much, much more. And what I love is uh, they want to shift the narrative by debunking a lot of the myths and taboos. And unfortunately, over the years, there's been a lot of myths uh, myths and taboos around menopause. And I think finally, we're getting to the stage where we can openly talk about menopause and openly talk about something that happens to every single uh, woman. And it varies as to the age in which the menopause is going to start. But a lot of women suffer in silence. And I think no more it has to start. 
stop. And that's why when we have summits like this, this is a way for women not to have to suffer in silence and to reach out and to get the support. There's some fantastic support uh, out there. So tickets are available for this event at nationalmenopausesummit.com. And as we are official media partners, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets, the, the bal- ba- tickets for uh, balcony tickets, because it's been held in the beautiful surroundings of Cork City Hall. And we will have another pair of tickets to give away today on the programme. We'll give that away after 12. And I believe we've got a pair to give away tomorrow as well. But if you want to check out more about the National Menopause uh, Summit, uh, please uh, check them out online, nationalmenopausesummit.com. Oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three. I'm gonna to go to the phone lines uh, now where Claire uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Claire. Hello, Patricia. Uh, how are you today? Yeah, very good uh, and dry. <laughs> <laughs> you were soaked through to your underwear, I would say, yesterday. Absolutely, and literally. And and we could drove all the way home from the airport soaked through. And where's all the way home? North Cork. Oh, I see. What about an hour drive? Was it? It was an hour drive. Yes. Okay. Tell me the tell me the story. You were you were over in uh, you had a flight back from Luton to Cork yesterday yes. afternoon. Okay. And, and it arrived lovely on time, and we had it was perfect. And as we got off the plane, it started to rain. So we ran with all our carry on luggage, which with us is a small suitcase as well, and we had to run the gauntlet to the terminal building. Because they, Ryanair do not use those connecting things. To the, wa- the, the walkways, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the walkway, the covered walkway, yeah. had all the passengers waiting to board the plane in it. So we ran as fast as we could, but it literally bucketed it down. And we were dripping by the time we got to the terminal building. Literally like drowned rats. And some of the showers we were experiencing at the moment, they are torrential downpours. It's not like a little mist of rain. Oh, it, this wasn't a mist. No. And there's nowhere to hide when you've got off the plane. You've just got to get to the terminal building. Um, we live here. We love Cork Airport. It's so convenient. But if we had had family arriving um, and that's how they pitched up in the arrivals the way we did yesterday, absolutely dredged. They'd hate us forever. And the publicity, they'd be telling everybody when they got back, oh, don't go there. You know, these facilities are available, Patricia. And I think Cork Airport should insist the airlines use them. Everybody wouldn't mind. There's no cheap, cheap flights anymore. We're all paying a reasonable price. And I think we should expect to just be, you know, to conveyed from said aircraft to the terminal building and not look like we've been thrown in the River Lee. And did you, and you, did you have a hard suitcase or did you have a soft luggage? Did any of your luggage get wet? Oh, yes. We, we have, they would be more soft-sided, our little 10 kgs. Yeah. And the stuff in the top, yeah, it was wet. But, oh, God. And then to have to sit into a car in wet clothes, it's the most uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, uh, nobody likes wet underwear. <laughs> I'm trying to be polite, but no, I I got home and even the seat was wet where oh I've been goodness. sitting oh because I'm draining into the seat. No, we. We'll... I, 
we we will get on to Cork Airport. I know we we've got on to them before about this, and it's 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 there is a cost factor to Ryanair, and of course Ryanair uh, because they try to offer all these cheap flights, they try to do everything on the cheap. But I think I wonder really how much more would it cost to connect the walkway to get people on and off a plane. I'm sure it wouldn't cost that much. And we're paying literally for everything now with Ryanair. So a few, Bob, they're not cheap, cheap anymore. But nobody else does that route to Luton. So we have to go Ryanair. And as an airline, I have no no general complaints with them. I don't. I find that they were on time yesterday. I, I'm not complaining otherwise, but I think Cork Airport should wave the banner and say, guys, if you're going to bring these passengers in. We have these facilities in this lovely new terminal building. You must use use them. them, By the way, at Luton, is there a walkway at Luton? Did you get off? Can you remember? Uh, No, no, No. we didn't. But it was a it's a much shorter. Shorter, Yeah. Walk. Yeah, the Ryanair one, they seem to park. And again, I'm assuming that's cost. They seem to park the furthest away from, the, one, from yeah. the terminal. And yeah. obviously that's a cost. That's a cost issue as well. And I'm just thinking somebody with mobility issues that would have been, you know, struggling to get off the plane or if you were carrying a young child. Absolutely. You know, it, it's not always, you can't always leg it. You, you know, you're not always able to run. And even with you running, you still got soaked. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Okay. And we we were running. Believe me. <laughs> and did you were you were you over in in the UK for long, or was it a quick flying visit? No, it was just um, it was just the week to see family. Okay, and you had a nice time. Weather was good and all. The weather was fantastic. We had a wonderful time. Good, good. Okay, and in the meantime, we'll get on to uh, Cork Airport and uh, just see is there any way that they can encourage uh, Ryanair to start using <laughs> the walkways. Okay, welcome home, oh. and uh, thanks thanks for your call, Claire. Thank you, Patricia. Take care. Bye-bye. 0818 103 103. And I'm sure Claire isn't the only one that gets frustrated by that when you fly into, and we love flying into Cork Airport, but when you fly into Cork Airport, when you have to, it's okay if it's a nice, fine, dry day, but if the weather conditions are against you, uh, there was uh, Claire and her husband like drowned as rats by the time they got to the terminal building. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. Yesterday on the programme I spoke with Mick Clifford. Mick is a special correspondent with the Irish Examiner and I had spotted a piece that Mick had put up online on Sunday and it was to do with the Leaving Cert Maths Paper 1 and how difficult that paper was and it left educators, parents and students in a state of despair and the reaction in the days after was a huge amount of outpouring of of outrage with people suggesting it was the most difficult maths paper ever and Mick was writing about and spoke to me yesterday about how the fact the word trauma came up repeatedly with you know several accounts of students leaving the exam hall in tears. I actually heard of one invigilator you know the supervisor of the exams saying for the, his first time ever he was passing tissues out to the students there was you know talk of some students coming out and physically vomiting in the aftermath of the exam and Mick was pondering in his article uh, and asking are today's uh, talking about today's youth and have they been 
conditioned to inflate every disappointment into a trauma. Now, I have to say we had a couple of parents contacted us afterwards and felt Mick was being very unfair on these students and they were students, they were parents of students who had sat the honours leaving cert maths. Uh, Derry and Colin also contacted us. Uh, good morning to Derry. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Thank you for having me on. Well, you've a busy, you've triplets sitting in the leaving cert. Is that, yes, is that I, I have. I have the, the last gentleman is finishing today, in fact. Uh, but yes, and I suppose uh, part of the reason I was ringing was I, now I have to admit, I didn't read Mick Clifford's article, but okay. I heard you mentioning it. And uh, when I spoke to John Paul, that's, I suppose, what, what, what got me going. But look, I suppose my, my problem is, you know, they're talking now about sort of being able to, to, to look at the paper again and that will be much easier. But there's more to it than that. And, and I mean, I agree with Mick here. This had had a huge effect on students for the, the following two or three days in school. So it wasn't just the maths exam that suffered. It was every, every exam that came right up to the weekend. Because by the weekend, I think it became obvious that it was the paper that was wrong, not the students. And that sort of did calm, I suppose, the individuals. But up to that, I think they were going into the exams and their brains, certainly, or their heads weren't in the right space. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's a good point. And actually, that's not a point that uh, Mick had made. He was very yes. much focused on, on the one yes. paper. Did all three of yours do, do higher no, maths? No, I, in no. fact, they, they were all doing it right up to the exam. One opted out about a month beforehand. The other two did higher. And I have to say, they found them extremely difficult. Now, the other thing, I suppose, the other B I have, and I taught for 42 years myself, Patricia, okay. uh, in, a, in a secondary school, uh, would have taught maths, not up to higher leaving set, but would have taught it to different levels. And I suppose, um, the, the, to, to go back, certainly like my last years in the school, it was all about well-being. And I can tell you, whatever these these individuals did in well-being over the last five years, in 10 minutes last Tuesday morning, it was it was certainly undone. Uh, they were traumatized. You know, when you have very good students coming out saying they spend 20 minutes looking up, looking down the paper, turning it over to make sure it was the higher level leaving that maths paper and not an applied maths paper, there is something wrong. And I cannot understand for the life of me. I assume it's not any one individual. There are surely a group of individuals, or at least during my teaching career, this is what I was led to believe that these papers were very well scrutinized by a group of people. How any group of individuals could let this paper see the light of day and and to a group of students that hadn't even done a, a junior cert. And, you know, again, I know I'm hopping all over the place. No, 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 because I, 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 I mean, did make that point yesterday yes. to make that this is the first, this is the class that have never sat a state Precisely. exam before. So everything yes. is kind of new to them. Totally. When we When we did our leaving cert, we had sat the junior cert or the inter cert as it was. Mm-hmm. So you knew what was what was going to be like. You know, Precisely. you know what the atmosphere is like inside yeah. the room. For these students, it was a first. And, and I have to put up my hand and say I wasn't too upset when the junior set was kind of or talks about it being done away with. But I can tell you now, looking at it from a parent's point of view, it was an unbelievable dry run for leaving set. And they knew what it was like to go into a strange supervisor, be there on time. Time was crucial. You, The minute the supervisor said down with pencils, they were downed. And phones were taken off of them going in. This was a huge sort of experience for this year's leaving, such not having done that before. 
you know. And, and but I think like, but I think Mick's point is to do with resilience. Are we, yeah. you know, and and they will face much tougher things in life. In they, life. They, they, now they look back and possibly the class of twenty three who did higher level maths will always remember that paper. But they will face much tougher challenges I, I in life. I totally accept that, Patricia. And I, I, I agree with Mick in the sense that I think young people are being mollycoddled. They're being put into glass cases. And, and I, I suppose I'm involved in sport all my life. And I can see it being the advantage of young people being involved in sport. And I can talk for my three. They are involved. And I would say they're fairly resilient, rounded. And they can take their knocks. They, they know how just to be beaten in a game. A game maybe they should have won. And they can deal with that. But I mean, this was something that was thrown at them out of the blue. Yeah, you and know? something and that they had worked so hard yeah, for. Yeah, precisely. And I have no problem whatsoever with somebody coming out saying, Jesus says it was, excuse the language, it was extremely hard. Mm. That's, that's, that's resilience. That's what they have to deal with. But when the very good students come out and say, I hadn't a clue. Yeah. I, in fact, I spoke to a teacher the day after, and he, he's teaching honours maths, he told me, with 11 years, and he said, question three, I spent 35 minutes at, he said, and I still wasn't even sure how to answer it, Actually, and I, I even, <laughs> even then, he said, I wasn't sure what they were looking for. Yeah, I, that question three, I, I haven't seen it now, but I've heard other teachers, yeah. and I heard mm-hmm. a maths professor talk about question three as well, but I, I do think you make a very interesting point, it was then the exams the following day, and for the rest of the week, yes, that, yes and that's, that's not that fair if 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 no. it's if it's thrown them off. All right, well, please, I, please, God, they'll all do well. You've only one more exam left. Is, is that what today? That's finishing today. Now, I suppose the other thing, and I don't want to hold your time. The other thing, I suppose, is is the extra points for maths. I'm beginning to to doubt the validity of it. I think there are people now doing maths honors maths just for the 25 extra points, yeah. and it it doesn't seem right to me that somebody that gets a H one in maths gets 25 marks and somebody that gets 40% also gets 25 extra marks. If if they want to bring in 25 extra marks, I think it should be graded. If somebody gets a H1, they get 25. If somebody gets a H2, they get 20. H3, 15 and down along. But not just, just for sitting the paper. Well, it, not just for sitting the paper. Yeah, and to me, there is something wrong with a subject and the way it's being prepared if they have to give these 25. Because... Listen, whether they will admit it or not, it was done to encourage people to do higher level maths. And that's because of the STEM subjects. Precisely. And I mean, the thing about it, I've been involved in subject things all over them, teaching association subject things in my last 40 years. And like if, if you discovered for a few years your grades, you weren't getting H1s. You sat down and you said, look, we're going to have to maybe bring the standard down a small bit. Likewise, if you went in and after a few years there was loads of H1s. You decided, lads, we have to bring up the standard. We have to do something. Like, why should they give 25 extra marks for maths? Surely the likes of chemistry, we're in an era where the pharmaceutical industry is booming. Mm. People going into to pharmaceuticals, they should be encouraging them to go in there. Surely chemistry, physics. Yeah, why not the, look at the other subjects? There, yeah. Well, there yeah. certainly is difficult. And, and why should maths be singled out? Okay. You know, as 
from from everything else. Okay, you know? we'll leave it there, Jerry. Listen, best okay. of luck to your three in the exams. There, so there's no problem. Okay, you know, and tell them enjoy their that, summer. I will indeed, and thank you for inviting me. Patricia. Thanks, right. William. Bye bye, thank bye you, bye. That's uh, Jerry uh, in Colin. I imagine that was a busy household with triplets. Uh, sitting the leaving search. Over the last four decades, Photo Wildlife Park has been running very successful conservation programmes overseeing the birth of hundreds of endangered animals to celebrate Photo Wildlife Park turning 40 tomorrow. I'm joined by Sean McKeown, who is the director of the park. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. How are uh, you? I'm very well, thank you. And a photo is really such a wonderful success um, story. But c- can you outline how it's grown since it first opened 40 years ago? Oh, we, I suppose we had a small number of species We, when we started. Uh, we only had about 35 species and um, about 260, 270 animals. So it, um, and of the 73 acres that we had then, we only had about half it uh, utilised by the animals that were exotic, let's say, that knew new to Ireland or new to south of Ireland anyway um, so it's changed that way and we've uh, we've grown to we had 100,000 visitors in, in, in 1983 um, we've had up to four, 475,000 visitors um, in 2021 so uh, and we have uh, I think it's 1,094 individuals um and about 122 different species. It's fantastic, and and and, and the families who come to visit, um, Sean, uh, many of those would have visited it as children, wouldn't they? And they're now coming back, bringing their children with them. Yes, it's it's, it's become a a, a multi generational uh, visiting. It's it's part of sort of the heritage of of East Cork and Cork. Um, the um, the other, you do see grandparents will tell you that I visited here when uh. with my child at, at such and such a, uh, a year uh, but it was particularly through during uh, COVID when we opened up after COVID we were getting families coming and meeting here um, meeting outdoors where, where where they you know they weren't doing it indoors and uh, uh, when after the restrictions were lifted so 2000, uh, 2020 and 2021 was a real um, I suppose family atmosphere in the park mm-hmm. uh, because you, you, there were very little foreign tourists and they were all, you know, 90%, 95% were... Um, Irish people. Irish people. Yeah. And, lo- and, and, local, local. and local people. Yeah. And and while the park has helped breed you know, endangered species from, from you know, Africa and, and Asia, I believe you're now working to breed Irish animals that, yeah. are, that are at risk of vanishing. Yeah. I think people don't realise um, the seriousness that a lot of our, particularly our ground nesting birds, are in um, from extinction. I mean, they're 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 say for instance, only about a hundred pairs of curlew breeding curlew left in the wild. Corncrakes, there's probably uh, a similar number, you know, a hundred, hundred and twenty uh, breeding females. Um, and uh, the other one that we've, we've done a lot of work with, with is, is Natter Jack Toad. So this week we sent 16, 17 corridors back to release back, back into the wild. Um, uh, last year we started in this program. We've grown it. We've had about 40 eggs here. We've hatched 35 of them. And we hope to get all 35 back to the, um, back to the wild. 
Um, and the, the the other interesting thing is we took the eggs early on in incubation from the boards. So the boards had laid a clutch. We took away the eggs and were given them by the National Parks and Wildlife Service. The birds then and went, went and nested again. Uh, and some of them have uh, produced four five, four chicks, three oh, four chicks. Uh, and, you know, we'll hopefully be introducing three or four chicks back into the area that they're in where last year there were no chicks reared or very few chicks reared. So that's, um, that's sort of the action we're involved in. But it's not just us. There's a whole, you know, there's the National Parks and Wildlife Service. There's a whole group of volunteers that go out, monitor the, the curlews, monitor where the nests are, and um, basically um, help. It's, it's really citizen conservation. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. and, and you, I'm, I imagine 40 years ago, helping Irish species could never have been imagined. By no, uh, well, the beginnings were, you know, we, we were beginning to see things like the corn crakes decrease um, substantially. Um, but we didn't, we didn't think things like corlews and uh, red grouse and uh, you know, even our, our, our natterjack toads really been more affected perhaps by climate change than, than anything else with groundwater levels you know decreasing. Uh, that's those sort of things we didn't really understand what the, uh, climate change the effect it was having at that uh, that stage. Uh, but it's not just through here throughout the world mm. um, and of course we're, we're losing too many of, of our, our habitats yeah the big factor is habitats and we need to have greater areas um, well managed habitats that um, you know we can actually control predators that you know when there are too many predators uh, uh, that there, there's some sort of a balance there of nature uh, and sometimes that means that, that there has to be some intervention by man because we don't have the free, free roaming um, habitats that we had in the past, we, you know, they're, go- they're all go- you know, they're all more isolated from each other, uh, and even with, with somewhat interconnecting habitats, you still have to manage them in, in a very uh, extreme way, certainly to start off with. Mm. And I was reading a piece in the paper, an interview that you did with uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish uh, Independent, uh, and it's that ongoing issue that we're hearing from anybody involved in in tourism, uh, the hotel capacity and not enough bed nights available. And that's actually affecting your figures and what's coming through the gates at Vota. Yeah. So the, the, the percentage of people who were holidaying in the area last year was down, uh, who were using hotels and accommodation was down to down by thirty two percent, and that you know that's a significant decrease. Uh, while on, well, we did get an increase in in people who were staying with family and uh, who were visiting family, etc. So it, it was mainly because those hotel spaces weren't there, um, and that is affecting the industry, um, particularly in. I suppose the more rural areas of the country, where they may have only one or two hotels in in in, an, in, a, in a town or a city or a village, you know. So it's it's important um, that we have the right balance of hotels and uh, accommodation, other accommodation types. And of course, the knock-on effect it affects a whole variety of different uh, businesses: the cafes, the restaurants, the shops. 
Yeah. Every, everything gets affected by it. Okay. All right. And is there huge excitement building, uh, Sean, amongst the staff uh, with the um, f- with the fortieth tomorrow? Have you great plans? Yeah, we have, we have plans. We we, we have uh, a minister uh, coming, Minister O'Donovan, who is uh, um, Patrick O'Donovan, who's OPW yeah. minister. So he he will be visiting, um, and, and uh, we are also busy doing a. Um, a new development, which you should hopefully hear by the end of the year, a new education, conservation and research centre. And that's really for the next 40 years uh, and how we develop our our work with educating uh, school children at, in, in, in primary, secondary and, and third level. Uh, uh, and then also interacting with the corporate sector as well with, you know, uh, social corporate social responsibility days out like that that we can change behaviour and of course the big thing that we can do here is that we're dealing with families so we can interact with them and and uh, try and get them to change their behaviour around uh, you know things like food waste how they use water or how um, and how uh, you know how much electricity they were using and, and, and the benefits of it, for instance, solar, solar energy, um, because the, the actual centre will be powered by solar energy. Uh, we'll be uh, harvesting rainwater for, for, for the toilets, etc. So it's, it, it's going to be, uh, um, I suppose, a, an example of what can be done uh, uh, to... to help save the environment. Okay, listen and just a lovely text in to say morning Patricia huge congratulations to Photo Wildlife Park on their 40th anniversary our national school in Whelan headed off at 8.30 this morning to Photo for their school tour no doubt they'll have a fab day and the weather forecast is perfect for it. Yeah. Listen Sean uh, thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us I uh, really appreciate it. Okay, thanks thank for you that. Good morning. Bye-bye. Michael says hi Patricia it's an absolutely it's absolutely disgusting the carry on at the forum in Cork this morning. These people are an absolute disgrace according to Michael. The sad thing about it is that uh, it is live all over the world and everybody gets uh, to uh, see it and of course what Michael is referencing is the opening of the government's consultative forum on international security at UCC and it has been, we heard it on the news where Barry has been interrupted by a protesters but people will say we live in a democracy and people have a right to uh, protest but I can see the point uh, Michael is making, I mean it sounded like I mean I haven't seen any of the footage, it was just what I heard with Barry on the news, it did sound like it ended up into it got into a shouting match at uh, one stage and yes people around the world will be watching that and it's just not the kind of the image that you want. And this um, consultative forum, they're moving around the country. I think it's going on over four days, Cork today being uh, day one here in Cork. And it seems before the Taunish that Micheál Martin could even make his opening remarks, a number of protesters started shouting no to NATO. And then there were some students who unfurled a red banner saying NATO wars, millions uh, dead. Uh, the Taunish that then took to the podium and you could hear uh, Micheál Martin say, the most undemocratic thing you can do is to sh- to shout to try to uh, shout down debate, and he said that's what this forum is all about. We are trying to uh, a debate. And as he began his speech, then the Gardaí had to move in. They removed some of the protesters. And then the opening remarks of the chair of the consultative forum, Professor Louise Richardson, a name we all got to know because of the comments made about her uh, by the president last week. Um, 
Michael D. Uh, Higgins, she seemingly was also uh, interrupted. Anyway, it's... Um, uh, I'm assuming it is all settled back down now. And I know Micheál Martin is due to speak with the media around now, but I'm I'm assuming that they managed to get the protesters to either sit down or to leave the building, or as I say, some of them had to be uh, removed, and that can allow the forum to have the discussions that they're having. I was seeing that they there are four panels at today's meeting, and they're focusing on uh, global security, environment, European security, and that's obviously in the aftermath of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They are looking at emerging cybersecurity threats and God knows we all know uh, what happens when cybersecurity threats happen in this country and they're also going to be looking at maritime security and critical uh, infrastructure but there was uh, some protests at it this morning and as I say Michael one of our listeners not happy with that all also coming into us this morning there was a reaction on the leaving cert we spoke with um uh, when I spoke with Derry, who was talking about his uh, three, his triplets who were all doing their leaving cert and he was picking up on Mick Clifford and what Mick Clifford uh, was saying, how are we not teaching young people resilience? And, you know, the, the point I was making as well, what happened? Like, it is awful for these students when they're under so much pressure, when a paper doesn't go uh, their way. But when they go through life, they will face, you know, a lot more difficult uh, situations and uh, somebody says Patricia I regarding the leaving cert and what happened with that honours leaving cert maths uh, paper Mick Clifford and everything he had to say in that article and what he said to you yesterday on the programme is 100% correct to hear of young people vomiting after an exam my god my god where is that coming from I wonder what will happen when they grow up into adulthood and they have to face the responsibility and the stresses that life will present things like serious illnesses etc they simply will not be able able to cope in the real world. And, you know, when I was talking with Mick yesterday, because after the exams, it was a lot of the teachers and uh, parents were coming out. And, and you wonder sometimes, is it the adults who should know better? Did some of the adults heap unnecessary pressure onto that particular story? That's what I worried about. And I think that was the point that Mick was trying to, to make as well. I mean, I know uh, Liveline was inundated with calls in from people. And you're thinking when I think as adults, do we do should we be calming the situation for the young people? But it all goes back to how much resilience. But then and the other argument that we put forward, young people today are facing much more stresses than, say, previous generations uh, did. And, and that listener is right. They will have to face all of the other stresses that life will throw at them. 0818103103. I mentioned in the next hour, I'm going to be giving away tickets to the National Menopause uh, Summit. It is coming to Cork in October. And it would be packed with an agenda of knowledge, advice and uh, support for women. Massey says, Patricia, doctors and GPs should be attending the Menopause Summit and the Menopause Summit information should be widely available to women nationwide and indeed worldwide. The HSE and the World Health Organization should be proactive with information for women. It should be obviously freely and widely available information. And so says Massey. Well, I'm assuming that... Uh, doctors probably. Well, I know a number of doctors will be on the panels and will be panel speakers, but I'm, I'm assuming it is open to, to doctors uh, to attend as well if they want to attend because it's all the, the latest information. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think we're getting better at talking about the menopause. There was a time where it just wasn't spoken about at all. And I think Davina McCall in the UK 
uh, we as women have a lot to be thankful for Davina McCall because she was one of the first to go public with how she struggled through menopause and the lengths that she had to go to until she could find the treatment that would get her to get her life uh, back on track and I think she's absolutely doing wonders and here in Ireland uh, is Sheila Shoiga and actually Sheila Shoiga is the moderator I'm sure um, she is yeah she's the moderator at the at the forum at the menopause summit that's going to be happening here in uh, Cork and she's been very honest and very brave about talking about her menopause uh, story uh, as well thank you for your uh, WhatsApp uh, Mossy and then someone wants to know about there was an email in you know about the vacant property grant that is available uh, somebody who wants to remain anonymous which it is fine saying I wonder could you ask any of your listeners please has anyone been successful in getting the vacant property grant are is it very difficult to get? This is the grant of up to a maximum of €30,000 and it's available for the refurbishment of vacant properties for occupation as a principal private residence, including the conversion of a property which has not been used as residential heretofore. And it was a fantastic scheme and it's a great way to get vacant properties for someone to buy a vacant property and to seek potential in it. But sometimes if the vacant property has been idle for a while, people say, oh, it's going to cost too much money to do it up. So that's where this grant kicks in. And we know that we have a lot of vacant properties in this country and it is just one piece in the jigsaw to helping with the housing crisis. Anyway, back to our listeners email who said, I sent my application form in last September and no one came back to me on it. I ended up having to start the project a few months later as I needed a house to live in and the job is more or less done now, but still nobody has called out to us to assess us for this particular grant. I chased it via email again and finally this week they've come back to say they don't have any record of my application and to resubmit it via email. My question is, has this happened to anyone else and what was their outcome? Because as far as I know, in order to qualify for that grant, you have to apply for the grant, I think, before you actually do the work. So you could be caught on that one. Anyway, let's see. Is this just a very isolated case that somewhere between the jigs and the reels, the original application went missing? Have you heard of that? Has it happened to you? Have you heard it happening to anybody else? If so, what was the outcome? And I suppose the other question being asked, uh, love to hear from somebody who successfully applied for the refurbishment uh, grant and how difficult a procedure was it because sometimes our government are great at introducing grants like that but then when somebody goes to look to get the grant you know the devil is in the detail and it can just be so complicated and so hard that it actually puts people off 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862103103 C103 Jobs Ward personnel have positions for digger drivers, crane operators, lorry drivers and Arctic dumper drivers. Call 021-233-9120. An experienced painter is wanted to work for Everfresh Solutions. They're based in Butterwind. You must have your own transport. The number to call is 087-6236-197. A minibus driver is wanted to work for the month of July. It's to cover July Education Summer Camp in the Charleville area. Your contact is John at 087-215-4385. And a full-time internal sales coordinator is wanted to work in Mallow. 
email douglas at acravet.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Citizens' Assembly on Drug Use will hold its third meeting this weekend on Saturday and Sunday in the Grand Hotel in Malahide. Now, to discuss what's on the agenda and what has been covered so far, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the independent chairman of the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs Use, and that's Paul Reid. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. I suppose, firstly, just to fill people in, remind people um, how the Citizens' Assembly works. Sure. I suppose, firstly, I can tell you what it's set out to do. It's established to by the Joint House of the Oireachtas and by government to assess how as a society, we can reduce the harmful impacts of illicit drug use. Uh, and in doing that, we've been given a mandate to look at three broad areas, which is any required changes to legislation or policy or indeed the service that, uh, that are in place in terms of addiction. Um, the Assembly itself is constructed by 100 members of the public, uh, and they're selected based on a what we call a stratified random selection process. So they replicate the... Uh, if you like the CSO data, so uh, the percentage of male, female, the age uh, represents the CSO data and the regional distribution. So randomly selected, uh, come together over six assembly meetings between now and the end of October, make recommendations, and we produce a report that ultimately goes back to government and the House of the Oireachtas. And government then have to respond as to which recommendations they will take and the timeline for implementing those recommendations. So the members come from all age groups and all walks of life? Yeah, they're representative, absolutely representative of the CSO data. So the ages would represent, you know, the percentage of people, let's say, from 18 years upwards, uh, from 18 to 30, from 30 to 45 and, and upwards, uh, all from a wide range of socio-economic backgrounds. Uh, and we have 12 different nationalities on the uh, assembly overall. And, and for the first time, actually, it doesn't necessarily have to be people uh, who are citizens, but, uh, but people who are living here as well. So yeah, and that's reflecting our uh, that's reflecting our society. And and Paul, you can't put yourself forward to be a member of the Citizens Assembly, or can you? Now nobody's handpicked, and, ah. and but people do uh, put themselves. What happens is we, or what happened in this case, we send out twenty thousand letters uh, to the public to households. And we asked that household, would they like to nominate somebody to take part in the Citizens' Assembly over the, the next few months? Uh, from that, we got about 1,800 responses back. Uh, and from that 1,800, the 100 people are randomly right. selected, selected based okay. on that age okay. and it's, distribution. It's terrific. I love the idea of it. And they, and they don't have to give, they give up so many, this will be the third weekend. Yes, there's no doubt about it. Not just weekends. The members themselves give up a lot of time uh, pre-reading information. Uh, I've been nothing but impressed by how the members come to the assembly meeting, uh, well prepared, well read, uh, and hear presentations and information and videos and various ways of communicating with them over a weekend. Uh, and they'll come together over the all, all 
up till the end of October in that process. So okay. it's actually, Ireland is recognised as a, a kind of gold standard in this, what's called, if you like, deliberative democracy. Um, and look, there has been some cynicism, what's the point of an assembly? Uh, what I say to our assembly members is, we don't have power, that's quite rightly, in the hands of elected people in the Oireachtas. Uh, but however, we do have a real strong, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to influence. And if you take previous assemblies, they've made very significant changes to mm. our society, the Eighth Amendment, yeah. um, you know, and, and various other constitutional changes. Yeah, and it's getting to hear what the people on the ground is for the government is getting and our legislators they're getting to hear what the ordinary everyday people of Ireland are talking about and, and want to be talking about and coming up with possible uh, solutions so drug use is uh, is what you're tasked with um, do you believe it is probably one of the greatest issues facing and affecting communities uh, today Paul? Yeah I mean look I'm an independent chair so I bring all of the information to the, to the members themselves but there's no doubt, even from what we've heard in the first two assembly meetings, this is a really challenging crisis issue for our society. Uh, we've heard at the last assembly meeting in May, over a full weekend, we heard many uh, experience, lived experiences of individuals, of families, of communities, uh, and the real harm that is caused to them. Uh, and we also know that, and there's evidence, clear evidence demonstrates, uh, drug use is quite pervasive all across the country, in all towns and all rural areas. However, we also know that it really hurts marginalised communities more. Uh, it impacts them more in terms of harm and hurt, uh, and, and various kinds of harm, including criminalisation, including stigmatisation. So we know that it really hurts certain areas of higher social deprivation and that's not just because of drugs it's because of a wide range of issues uh, in terms of investment in certain societies so we know it hurts communities really badly uh, and we equally know this really needs urgent attention of policymakers, of legislators and uh, there's information from the health research board just two days ago which shows the changing nature of drug use and i can give you some details on that but you know if the problem is changing and changing rapidly uh, our response has to change equally rapidly to catch up with it. Yeah, and as you say, at the last assembly in May, it was the lived uh, experienced experiences. So you had people coming in, Paul, very bravely sharing their stories, was it? Yeah, I must admit, it was quite an, uh, an emotional weekend, quite an impactful weekend for all of the members, including myself, uh, for people to come forward and share their real lived experiences Um of the harm that they have experienced. Um, you know, we heard from individuals and families and communities, you know, where people get into an awful vicious cycle. Some people have experienced awful trauma in their early, early years that can be from abuse, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, as children maybe. And then some ways they deal with that to relieve that hurt is to use some drugs. And then they get caught up in addiction and then they get caught up in criminal services, uh, the criminal justice system, and they get criminalised and they get stigmatised. So it's an awful vicious cycle that we heard about. So, you know, somewhere along that we have to make changes, whether it's policy, legislation, or they change the service. But it was quite an impactful and emotional weekend, I think. We also, as part of that weekend, visited some of the... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Services, uh, addiction services, so Merchants Key in Dublin, which deliver uh, services to addiction services to homeless people. And we visited uh, Kulmayan, which is a is an addiction service for men, but also for women and, and their children uh, to receive service. So quite an emo- emotional weekend, and people were really brave to share their stories well and try and make things better. And I'm, I'm assuming families who've lost loved ones because of yeah. drugs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite, quite strong um, experiences shared by mothers and fathers uh, who've lost people through drugs from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, I should also say we did hear from people who... Uh, have a view, a strong view, and there is a view that um, they've used drugs and they use certain type of drugs, and they haven't, um, they haven't had harm. Uh, mm-hmm. And their would their view would be, and we've many submissions of this would be that they can use certain type of drugs and not receive harm. Now that would be debated. Obviously, it's a complex issue, and certain medics will have a completely different view that you know you may not experience immediate harm, but there can be issues of psychosis at different stages of life too. You know. So you're moving on this week then to I, I assume what needs to be done. Is it is is that where we're we're at now? Yeah, that's correct, Trisha. We're kind of, if you like, flipping the coin this time. So we looked at the experiences, as I said, of individuals, the lived experiences. Now this time we're looking at the services and uh, that are delivered by. Uh, the statutory bodies, such as the health services, um, the voluntary and community organisations that work in communities. Uh, so we're looking at both Ireland and international experience of what's called health-led approaches. How do you uh, support people uh, with drug issues uh, or using drugs and have addiction issues to through a health-led approach rather than um, a criminal approach, a criminalisation approach? So we'll hear examples from... Portugal. Uh, we'll hear examples from Austria, how they have done things differently. Uh, we'll hear examples from our own Irish system, some innovation in terms of treatment, recovery, uh, supports for young people, vulnerable people, uh, and uh, you know various organisations that work on the ground to deliver those services. So we'll be looking at, if you like, some of the solutions, uh, what's working, what's not working, what needs to change, what needs to be scaled up. Yeah, and we can certainly, I think, learn from uh, other countries. I know recently there was uh, a team from out of Cork City Council mm-hmm. went over to Lisbon to look at the injecting centres that they have in, in Lisbon um, because with the view to hope, maybe, hopefully, uh, opening up an injection centre uh, here, in, here in, in Cork. So, you know, they're the kind of things we can learn. They've worked in other countries. There's nothing to say they won't work here. 
Yeah, no, and, and that's correct. And I'm familiar with the court delegation that went across. I mean, Portugal has taken a, a very different approach in many ways. Uh, one is certainly, as you described, self-injection facilities. Now, there's one of them approved <clears throat> at this point in time in Dublin, not not in place just yet, but planning permission has been received. Um, <clears throat> so that is one innovative way. But there's also, in terms of Portugal, what they did was they decriminalized, if you like. So if you're caught with certain levels of possession for your own self-use, uh, you're not rooted through a criminal system. You're rooted through a health-led approach. So the wide wrap of services uh, of the state uh, to support you, uh, you're directed through a health system, health-led approach. Uh, and in many ways, they've had um, some experiences. They have evidence that has reduced drug-related deaths. Um, and, you know, so we will be looking at that. Also, Austria, which hasn't taken a decriminalization approach, but if you like, it has depenalized. It doesn't penalize people from it. Uh, but again, puts a wide wrap of services from the state around people uh, to get them out of um, drug, drug use, you know, illicit drug use and yeah. harmful drug use. OK, so a busy weekend ahead this uh, week uh, weekend. When do you hope to make your final recommendations, Paul? Yeah, so what's set out for us in our terms of reference is we come together uh, each month until the end of October. Uh, at that stage, the, at that meeting in October, it's planned that the Assembly members will um, vote and have a ballot on certain recommendations. Uh, those recommendations will fall together in a report uh, between myself and the Secretary to work on this. Uh, and we are, pre- we are targeted to present a report uh, back to the House of the Oireachtas uh, by the end of this year, and they will then give it consideration, as I just mentioned, they would assign it to one of the House's committees of the Oireachtas, and government ultimately will make the response. Okay, you sound like you're really enjoying the role, are you? Well, look, it's something that's um, very close to me. I, I grew up in a very um, working-class area in North Dublin and Fingers West, and, uh, you know, I understand the impacts in areas who have high social deprivation, not just related to drugs, but other aspects of, of harm that they receive through, you know, lack of investment and, and support. So it's something I'm very close to, something I'm quite passionate about, and, and who wouldn't like, be privileged to be part of something that could make a great change for society? Well done. Well done. Listen, good luck to you and the other 99 uh, members of the Citizens' Assembly this weekend. Uh, thank you for joining us and talking to us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Paul Reid, the Independent uh, Chair of the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs Use. And time for this week's Garda Fire. We're going to Clonakilty Garda Station where I'm joined by Garda Una Collins. Good morning to you, Una. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. OK, let's get straight into it. You want to start with theft of electronics. And this was from a shop, I believe, in McCroom. That's correct, Patricia. Gardaí and McCroom are presently investigating the theft of a large quantity of electronics. Now, this is a distraction theft where two males entered the store. One engaged the shop assistant while the other made his way to the rear of the store and filled a bag with a large quantity of electronics. Um, Gardaí are following a certain line of inquiry in relation to this incident, but wish to reiterate to retailers and their staff just to be vigilant at all times and to be alert yeah, to you, these kind of... Yeah, you need to be very, very careful. And, and these people will check out the shop. They'll make sure that there's maybe not a lot of staff on when they come in. And, you know, one will engage the person, completely distract them. And then, of course, you can't see what the other person is doing. That's correct, Patricia. Yeah. Yeah, you so, yeah, and staff are under pressure, but just to yeah keep be aware um, of it. I, 
Absolutely. Okay, and another one that you want to make retailers aware of is a pay zone scam. Uh, And this time it happened in Clonakilty. That's correct, Patricia. Um, Now, yeah, Gardaí and Clonakilty are presently investigating. It's a fraud crime that took place in a local retail outlet. So in this case, two males entered the store and approached the cash desk to pay for a number of items. So while doing so, the second male distracted the cashier by inquiring about a product behind the counter. So while the cashier's back was turned, the second male took a photo of the pay zone receipt that had been left on the counter. Uh, So then when the first male attempted to purchase the items with the bank card that did not go through, the males then undertook to return to the store to pay for the items by cash, but they failed to do so. So, Patricia, we now know that the males left the store with the photograph of the pay zone receipt, enabling them to withdraw money from the pay zone account using the details from the photograph that they had on their phone. Now, we've got reports of this um, to Gardaí in other parts of the county and the country. So we are aware now that this is an ongoing scam and again, um, alerting retailers to be aware. Um, For those that aren't totally familiar with the whole pay zone thing, that's an e-payment company where it enables uh, customers to maybe pay their credit and their debit card bills via a pay zone account or they can pay for utility bills, gas or electricity or then other like online payments for parking or bus or train tickets. They can all do that through a pay zone. So this is what... um, This is what they were doing. So, you know, a lot of fuel stations and local convenience stores would have this pay zone facility in their on their premises. Yeah. And that receipt is as good as cash. And and actually, I spoke a number of weeks ago with a retailer in Butterfant in North Cork who got caught on the very same scam. And he realised very quickly what was going on and he contacted pay zone to try to get it cancelled. But they literally within minutes of leaving his shop, they had cashed it in and spent it. So they, they know what they are doing as well. That's the, oh, that's correct. It's very organised. OK, so please be aware of that. Now, European Focus Day to prevent domestic <laughs> burglaries. Sorry, Patricia, I just wanted to give some advice to retailers okay. in relation to that. OK, please do. Um, just to be sorry, Patricia, just to stay focused and be aware that customers are can be there to deliberately distract the cashier or another employee and just take your time and we understand that staff can be under a lot of pressure um you know especially during the summer in these retail outlets uh, we'd also ask retailers to ensure their staff are provided with security training including part-time staff and only experienced staff should be operating the tills and don't and, hand over and- that receipt until you've been paid for it Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the final point would be just, um, you know, if they're not already part of a business watch, that they could join business watch because that is like a network of um, business owners and traders that can, you know, uh, circulate information and make other businesses in the area aware, because this is how these criminals operate. They'll target a number of retail outlets in, in a locality before moving on again. Okay. Now, the European Focus Day to prevent domestic burglaries. You want to give us all some top tips to protect our homes? I do, Patricia. So burglary, that's that's not a crime that's unique to Ireland. That is around the world. 
but the European network um, that is made up of the Garda organization and 16 other police organizations in Europe. Um, and their aim is to inform citizens on how to better protect their homes against burglary and property related offences in an effort to reduce, reduce burglary uh, offences. And the four top tips would be strong door locks, external sensor lighting, strong window locks and internal lighting on a timer. And if I can just refer back to Garda Bridget Hartnett's piece there a couple of weeks ago, refrain from broadcasting on social media that you're away on holidays. Yeah, it's good advice. It really is good advice. And uh, we've beautiful weather uh, today and we certainly have been enjoying lovely weather so far this summer. Long may it continue. You want everyone uh, to stay safe at the beach and on the water this summer. That's correct, Patricia. I suppose uh, I'm based in Clonakilty, where we have a number of beaches, you know, so we'd be just appealing to um, to parents or adults to supervise the children. It's easy to get distracted on the beach, but supervise your children, um, asking your kids or yourselves to swim within your depth and close to the shore, swim in company and never alone. Um, for those going out on boating, um, on boating trips, Check the weather, the tides, the current. If you're unfamiliar with the area, um, you know, ask someone more knowledgeable or experienced. Um, always carry your first aid kit if you're hitting the water, a mobile phone or some other method of communication, for example, a marine radio. And always leave details of your trip with somebody on the ground, uh, including the time you're expected home. And please, and if you and just keeping with the beach, Patricia. Yeah. Just to reiterate again about parking. You know, I suppose a lot of our beaches and our beauty spots are all confined spaces, where parking is usually at a, a prime because everyone wants to be at the same place at the same time. So just again to remember um, when you're parking. Remember, if emergency vehicle cannot get through, you really shouldn't park there. And secondly wheelchair users also like to avail of beaches and beauty spots so please motorists consider wheelchair users and um and access points and asking vehicles not to park on foot footpaths because this can be a huge challenge then for wheelchair users well said well said responsible parking uh, folks and finally you've got an appeal for information to a road traffic accident I have, Patricia. This is a guard appeal appeal for information, re, a road traffic collision on the 1st of June 2023 in the Ross Carberry area. Anyone who was travelling on the N71 on Thursday, the 1st of June 2023, between the hours of 8.45am and 9.15am, between the villages of Lepp and Ross Carberry, and who has dashcam footage, or can provide any other relevant information to contact Clonakilty Garda Station or, Clonic or Sergeant Donald Bailey at 023-88-21570. Okay, listen, um, Una, thank you for that. And uh, you're lucky to be uh, based in Clonakilty. Enjoy the fine weather. Hopefully you'll get some time off this weekend. But thank you for joining us today. 
Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Garda Una Collins, uh, based out of Clonakilty, Garda Station for this week's Garda File. Kieran saying, Patricia, is there any update on the submarine that is missing off the wreck of the uh, Titanic? The latest I saw, uh, Kieran, there may be further updates in the news at 12, but the latest I saw is the in the last half an hour, a French research ship which is equipped with an unmanned robot. And this unmanned robot is able to search deep underwater. And that's just arrived this morning near the wreck of the Titanic. And obviously that now, that French research ship is going to join in what is a massive search and rescue operation for the missing submersible. The French research ship Atlanta is equipped with this robotic diving craft. What's important about this is the robotic diving craft is capable of reaching depths even below where the Titanic wreck is. The Titanic wreck lies, it's almost... 4,000 metres below the surface and that's just moved into the area. The French robot is called Victor 6000. And what's also important here is it's got arms that can be remotely controlled to help free a trapped craft or it could hook it to a ship in order for the craft to be hauled up. And see me, the US Navy, they're also sending a special salvage system which is also designed to lift large undersea objects because the big problem uh, is that even, and they are fast running out of time to actually pinpoint exactly where this Titan submersible uh, is. The big problem is that even if they identify exactly where it is, the problem was going to be how are they going to get it back up to the surface? And there's loads of speculation as to what has happened. And one of the, a lot of the speculation is that it could be in some way entangled in the wreck of the Titanic, that that is a possibility. So even if they can pinpoint where it is, you know, with a drone or whatever, they wouldn't be then able to move it. So we need, they definitely need something like that French robot that has uh, arrived. That ideally, if that robot can pinpoint exactly where it is and then it has the capabilities to somehow free the craft and then to hook it onto uh, a ship that would be able to haul it back up, that certainly would be the best chance of the five on board uh, surviving. But of course... It all depends on how much oxygen. It was a guesstimate that the oxygen would run out around now. They initially said 10 o'clock and others were saying no, it would be around 12 o'clock today. So around now and it's just, I think, for the families, it's the thought of their loved ones, you know, trapped inside this submersible and slowly running out of uh, oxygen. But the problem still uh, lies as to exactly where it is. So maybe this robot from the French research ship may be able to locate it, free it and uh, get all five to the surface. Uh, Prayers are continuing, obviously, all over the world, but sympathies really you have to think of the families dreadful time they're going through at the moment we've got another pair of tickets to give away to the National Menopause Summit which is going to happen here in Cork on Friday the 20th of October and the venue will be the Cork City Hall Uh, and again as we did yesterday please only enter this competition if you really would like to go along and think you can really benefit by going to the National Menopause Summit here in Cork or perhaps you've got a loved one that you feel could benefit uh, from it so we need you to text or WhatsApp the word HRT, HRT. Text that along with your name and address, please, to 086 
to 103 103. We'll leave the text and the WhatsApps open for about five minutes and then John Paul will select a winner for today. But as I say, only enter if you really think that you could benefit or you know of somebody who can benefit uh, by going to the National Menopause Summit in Cork. And the title is Advocating for Change. It's described as a landmark uh, event and they hope through uh, continuing to shift the narrative. They're hoping to debunk a lot of the myths and uh, taboos and there'll be a panel of of speakers with great knowledge and advice and uh, support. So text HRT to 086 to 103 103. And tickets, by the way, and further information about the National Menopause Summit are available on nationalmenopausesummit.com. And the tickets we're giving away today is a pair of balcony tickets uh, to go to the summit in October. Get texting on that, please. In the meantime, let me take a look at some of your thoughts coming into the programme. Hi, Patricia. It always makes me so sad to hear people speak of the Titanic. The reason for it was my grand-aunt went down with that ship. She was just 18 years old. God rest her and all of the rest of them. And I, I'm, I agree with you. I'm always conflicted about the Titanic. I have, I'm one of those that's got a real op- obsession is probably the wrong word, but a very keen interest in the Titanic. Always have done from a very young age. And I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that my birthday is the 10th of April and the 10th of April was the, the day that the Titanic set sail. So uh, I suppose maybe when I was growing up, there maybe there was commemorations around my birthday and I associated my birthday with the Titanic. That's the only thing I can think of. So, you know, I've required over the years a number of, of books. I love watching video footage of it. Titanic, the movie, I absolutely loved. And if there's ever any Titanic exhibitions on anywhere, I always love to go along and and, 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 and view them. But But always at the back of my head are the lives that were lost that night on the 14th of April. And of course, the big bone of contention about the site of where the shipwreck is, the big bone of contention is, is that actually a graveyard? And obviously it is for for more than 1,500 people and therefore should it be uh, left uh, alone? And there's always been you know, sensitivities around showing the personal effects of people who were known to have died on that night. And they died, you know, absolutely uh, horrific deaths. And of course, the the wreck, the remains of the Titanic were only discovered in 1985. And it was the American oceanographer Robert Bala who discovered exactly where uh, the wreckage uh, was. And like he always said at the time that the wreck should be left alone and he particularly wanted it left alone until it could be explored by expert archaeological techniques and obviously techniques that weren't available in 1985 and are certainly here now. And he was always worried about what was going to happen to the shipwreck and and what remained uh, of it. And I know there was an article in the National Geographic uh, back in 2004, which would have been nine years after Robert Ballard discovered the shipwreck. And it was just in advance of the auction. There was an auction for the contents of the Titanic. And at the time, uh, Robert Balla lamented how repeated deep water dives to the Titanic by salvage companies and and he also quoted by wealthy tourists and Hollywood filmmakers, he said was transforming the wreck from a sacred memorial 
into an underground freak show. And I remember reading that piece in the National Geographic at the time and thinking, he's right, it is a sacred memorial. It is a uh, grave uh, yard. And at the time uh, when the, the US courts got involved and actually they put very strict limits on our MS Titanic Inc who were going to be selling off the ar- artefacts and they the US courts required that to keep the artefacts together as a single collection preserve them properly and make them available for public purpose so there's always been that debate about is it a graveyard and therefore should those should the the people who died that night just be left to uh, rest uh, in peace and certainly if you ever had a, a loved one as our listener has lost a grand aunt for 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 family members who lost uh, loved ones, you can understand why they don't want you know people going down on tourist you know just having having a look around. I mean, all the video footage is there. I mean, even to go down now, uh, you're not going to see anything different that isn't hasn't been already made available to people. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. It always pangs me as well when, when I hear anything to do with the wreck of the Titanic and people uh, diving, particularly from a tourist point of view. And that's not taken away from what's going on at the moment. And I, I have huge sympathies for those five people. And, and I do hope that they are rescued safely. But time certainly is fast running out. 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. Uh, somebody in Canturk wants to know, does anybody, is anybody aware or has anybody organised a bus who will be going from Kentuck to Mitchellstown tomorrow night. This listener wants to go to uh, Mike Denver, who's in concert in Mitchellstown and wants to travel from Kentuck. Is anybody aware of a bus uh, running? If so, can you let us know and we can pass the details on to our listener, please? 0818 103 103. And the Sports Minister, Catherine Martin, it seems now, has received a series of bitter complaints about the GAA Go service and the fact of the unavailability of many high-profile games on our free-to-air TV. And uh, I'm reading in the papers today in correspondence with Catherine Martin's department, members of the public have accused RTE and the GAA and of course they jointly operate this GAA Go which is a subscription service it's behind a paywall so you need to pay to see some of the matches. They've been accused of trying to bleed cash from people. One email uh, said the GAA are getting nearly 30 million euro in government funding and they were absolutely disgusted that more games were not available and instead the GAA were asking people to pay for the pleasure of watching a match. Another labelled the GAA the Greedy Athletic Association and said the association's revenues every year were staggering. Do they really need to put matches behind a paywall? One person wrote, I've always admired the way the GAA has supported inclusion and keep fit programmes for people. But this is just greed, pure greed. One person said that their mother was in a nursing home and she loved to watch matches particularly when Mayo was playing. And the emailer said, we are in a fortunate position that we can afford to pay for the streaming service. However, the Wi-Fi in the nursing home where our mother lives is inadequate and it would not be sufficient to satisfactorily stream a live match. It is most disappointing that a lifelong fan will no longer be able to enjoy one of the few pleasures that remain to her. And I, I remember the time that the Cork match went behind the paywall 
wall. The, the amount of people that came forward like that and said, you know, I've got a granddad, a, you know, my dad, my mother in a nursing home and we can't get adequate Wi-Fi for them. And it, it really was heartbreaking. Another email that's gone public said it beggared belief that on one particular Saturday a Munster rugby game was available on RTE and on TG Cahar while a hurling match was untelevised. It gives the impression, said this emailer, that rugby is more important than our national sport of hurling, which needs to be uh, sustained. And the largest sporting uh, event um, and oh, sorry. And the Department of Sport said that this they then, you know, they were asked to respond to the complaints that were coming in by email. They say that 31 live GAA championship matches would be shown free to air. Now, that is the very same number as last year. And a spokesman says the management of the broadcasting rights to its games is a matter for the GAA, which has a commercial deal with domestic broadcasters as well as streaming platforms such as its own GAA Go platform. They say, this is from the Department of Sport, a challenge for the GAA and other sporting organisations is how they strike that best balance between generating revenue to support development and making the games available to as wide an audience as possible. So, I mean, to me, basically, the Department of Sport are putting the onus back on the GAA and saying, look, putting our hands up, we we as a government might give a lot of money to the GAA, but it's up to them to decide which games are shown free to air and which will go behind the uh, paywall. And I suppose the last time we discussed it, obviously, was when the Cork match, it only be, really becomes an issue for a particular county when their match goes behind a paywall. And then you'll hear every local radio station uh, in that area being inundated with people giving out about it. And I remember we had some very, very angry uh, listeners and very, very angry GAA fans at the time the Cork match went behind the uh, paywall. But I suppose the real concerns I would have, and I know this has been cited here on the programme by some of our listeners is going forward will more and more go before a paywall if the GAA start to see that they're making a lot of money out of the GAA the GAA Go platform uh, will more and more I mean at the moment 31 matches are shown free to uh, air will we see less matches shown free to air and will more of the more popular matches go behind behind a paywall only time will tell but certainly the sports minister Catherine Martin and her department are very much putting the onus back on the GAA and saying that the challenge is up to them and indeed because there are other sporting organisations that isn't just GAA that are behind a paywall look at all the soccer matches that are behind a paywall and um, they're saying that they now have to strike at the balance they Except it is a business at the end of the day. It does have to generate money in order to support uh, development. But how do they get the balance right and to make sure that they're they're grassroots supporters and like that, that, you know, that family that wrote in on behalf of their mother in Mayo, you know, a lifelong fan of GAA, you know, to take away the pleasure of an elderly person in a nursing home just seems cruel. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can uh, WhatsApp. I take it we'll stop on our menopause competition because I want to clear the text lines for our pet questions, please. Oh, thank you, John Paul's ahead of me. He already has my winner for me. It's Mary Hurley in Drina. Congratulations to you, Mary. You've got a 
pair of tickets to go to the National Menopause Summit in Cork advocating for change. That's on Friday the 20th of October and it's set in the beautiful surroundings of Cork City Hall and Mary you've won a pair of balcony tickets uh, for the summit. We'll have another pair of tickets, our final pair to give away tomorrow on the programme and reminding you that the um, tickets for the event and details of the summit are available on nationalmenopausesummit.com The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See corkcoco.ie Kildonary Community Lotto their next draw is in the community office this afternoon that's at four Now the jackpot is €9,100 Tickets are on sale at all of the local outlets and actually at the community office. The annual Mass at Sunday's Well in Bantir takes place tonight. That's at 8. All are uh, welcome. And best of luck to everybody at Skolnir for Porik in Kanturk. Their official opening ceremony and blessing of the new school takes place tomorrow at 11am with special guests Bishop William Crane and the Minister for Education Norma Foley. The 68th annual gathering of the O'Mahony Society will be held this year at Cool Car House in McCroom and it runs across this weekend, Friday through to Sunday. If O'Mahony blood runs any way through your veins, you're invited to join the clan. Full details on the gathering are available on the Society's website, which is omahonysociety.com. And Midsummer's Eve dance at Mushra Platform is happening tomorrow night from 8.45 to 10.45. Music is by the singing Jarvie. All are welcome and please note there's no cover charge. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And get your pet questions in, please, because uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us. So you can text her WhatsApp 086. Two one zero three one zero three, and I've just spotted a text in from Dan who has a query about the Charleville show which is happening this weekend. Dan says rumours ha- have it that there's no vintage or machinery display at this year's show. Dan said I've emailed the show. I emailed them on Tuesday night but I'm still waiting on a reply. Your help would be much appreciated as a lot of people go to these events for the vintage and mis- machinery uh, displays. Thanking you in advance. Well I've got John Paul on the case and he's trying to get on to the organisers because that usually is a huge part of the show to have the vintage and machinery display and if it's not going ahead let's try and find out why so bear with us on that please um, Dan 0818103103 now the Special Olympics World Games they are the world's largest inclusive sporting event where thousands of athletes with an intellectual disability compete together in 26 Sports. It goes on for nine days. It's been on since the 17th of this month and it runs through until next Sunday. And the Special Olympics World Games is, of course, taking place in Berlin this year. And it's the first time that Germany has ever hosted the World Games. Maura O'Leary has contacted the programme because she's just back from Berlin. Good afternoon to you, Maura. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. I've seen clips on the news and I've seen clips. I've been following it online. It just looks like the most magnificent event. How did you enjoy it? Oh, my God, Patricia. It was the most fabulous experience we ever went to. The opening ceremony was on Saturday evening. We arrived then Friday night. 
a whole family of nine of us, oh. including my grandson, my two-year-old grandson, Sion. Um, it was amazing. Oh, my God, it was amazing. It, was, it really was truly amazing. Um, my son, Stephen, is playing football and has been training with the team very hard for the last nine months, I'd say. He was in Abu Dhabi in 2019 and came home with a bronze medal. And uh, they're playing the final on Saturday. We, which team, we don't know yet, but they're in the final. But they're so true they're to the final. They're well, true to the final, yeah. yes, 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 yes. And people so, forget, people may not realise it's 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 hard to make it onto that Irish team. Oh, very hard. Very hard. Absolutely. There's only actually three of them from Cork, two of his friends from the city, uh, Thomas O'Hurley, Churchtown, Churchfield, sorry, and... Sean Murphy is around that area as well. So, and Stephen was—he was made captain on oh. the first match. Yeah, so. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And as yeah. I mentioned, it's it's in Berlin for the first time. Um, yes, and I had yes. to do a Google to check because my memory wasn't good enough. It's actually twenty years since we hosted the Olympic, the Special Olympics. It was 2003. 2003, someone said, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. 2003, 20 years yeah. ago. It was hard to believe. Um, and was were, were you involved back 20 years ago or was Stephen too young to be involved then? No, he, he's 33 now. Um, my daughter works at Cope Foundation as well and she was involved in it that time when they were, what was it, 2003? Yeah, 2000. My daughter Lisa was involved with it at that time. Um, and was it very special to watch the opening ceremony? Oh my God, you just could not explain it, Patricia. It was the most amazing experience we've ever been to. It was, and when the Green Army came out, of course, all the supporters went ballistic. <laughs> they got a fantastic welcome. And I think there was 170 countries in total to part in it. And did many travel from Ireland? Actually, there was a good crowd. There was 70 athletes anyway. Okay. 70 took part, or 72, I think. I'm not 100% sure there. But there was a good crowd, and they had fantastic support, like, you know, their um, people who support them, their coaches and that. Um, there was a lot of volunteers involved. It was a, it was a fabulous event and very, very well organised. And they so, are, and they're winning medals. They're winning medals right, left and centre, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely. it's 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 hard for people who who are ha- who are not involved in Special Olympics to talk about special is such a great word because it's 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 incredible to be involved in absolutely. it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. the feel good factor around oh, it. Oh, absolutely! And we were there for all their games. We just came home last night. But he, four of his five of his friends from from I are wishing now for the next few days. So, um, and to get, remind us again when is the final? On Saturday, time-wise, we don't know okay. uh, which country they're up against yet. It won't be confirmed till later today or tomorrow because obviously there's more games going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the they're, but, he, but they're, their side is done. They're, they're through, ready. They're, they're through done. to the final. They, they won all the games. I mean, their first game was against Switzerland and they won 13 nil. I, I saw that result. Of, so mm-hmm. <laughs> they, ran, they ran them off the pitch. <laughs> they ran them, God love them, yeah. And then they had, they also had a win against Uganda and Hong Kong. And Hong Kong. Then yeah, Poland, then, then Morocco. And then Morocco. <laughs> they had two matches yesterday, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. So speaking to him last night, he's fairly exhausted now, but getting ready for Saturday. 
They must be particularly good. They have not to have one. Not to have one every match. Fairly handy on the pitch. He's fairly handy on the pitch. Is he? Is he? Yeah. And such pride to watch your watch your watch your brother. It's it's it is incredible. I mean, to to represent your country. It's my son, Patricia. Oh, it's your son. My apology. I I'm reading the email. Thomas, your brother. Sorry, it's your it's your son. Incredible to watch your son put on an eye and. An Irish jersey. Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. Trish, can I just thank a few people as I'm you on, can, online? Yeah, you there? can. A special thanks to all the family and friends and supporters in town of Fermoy and beyond. And for those people behind the scenes in Special Olympics and Cope Foundation who did a lot of preparation with them for for Berlin. Yeah, because yeah, there's, there's there is there a lot is, of work going on behind the scenes. And Stephen is with is a Cope Foundation. Stephen's with. Yeah, well, he works like he's he's working now. Stephen's thirty two, so he works part time in Little Fermoy, and they're doing an event as well. They're all wearing green t shirts for the week, and they have a poster for him up in the shop, <laughs> and they have a visitor sign in book for him that he'll have when he comes home, and. They're raising money for their own fundraiser jigsaw. So if anyone's around for mine, like to pop in, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Well, he's a sporting hero in Formoy for sure. Will there be, I'm assuming, uh, Maura, will there be a closing ceremony then on Sunday? There will yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, there will be on Sunday. Yeah. And they're flying home early Monday morning. Yeah. Do they get into Cork or Dublin? Be no, Dublin. 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 Will you go? Yeah. Will you go up? Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll have to. I'll have to. Listen, send him on our best wishes and we've will, got our fingers and toes and everything crossed thanks for so the much, for the final on Sunday. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme. No bother. God bless. Bye-bye. 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 That is Maura O'Leary, very proud mammy of Stephen, who is captain of the Irish team. Uh, it's the football seven aside through to the final in the world Special Olympic Games out of Berlin. We wish them luck. 0818 103 103. We are looking for your pet questions, uh, please. If you have a pet question, get them in uh, to uh, us. Okay, just looking at some of your comments coming in here. Hi, Patricia. Hard to say. Very disappointed as a country that none of our media is showing live coverage of the Special Olympics. Yeah, anything I've seen so far, I have to say, I've kept an eye on it online. I did see some on the... I think I saw some on the news, but that obviously would be pre-recorded, like it'll package uh, uh, pieces uh, of it. But it's just for any of the families, like I think Maura knows any of the families that are involved, the work and the training that goes in to Special Olympics and particularly at that level when they get onto the Irish team is just incredible. And someone else says, Patricia, on Special Olympics, Nicola Dwyer from Lombardstown has won a bronze in swimming this morning. Oh, congratulations, Nicola. Nicola's mother, Julie, is the backbone of organising ongoing activities for several Special Olympics clubs in uh, Mallow. So congratulations uh, to Julie as well. They're very, very proud mum, mum. But well done, Nicola. And I know there's a lot of medals uh, when last I checked, there's a lot of medals coming. Uh, coming, uh, we, we, we do well in the Special Olympics for sure. And it is looking like, judging by the way the footballers have gone so far, not w- losing any match 
uh, it looks like they could be coming home with gold as well. 0818103103 and on the Titanic uh, Fidelma Imacroom says uh, Patricia to think the ship is still there and it's a mass grave it is wrong that people are diving down as tourists. Fidelma feels that people are travelling down and just looking at the wreck. It's like going poking around at a graveyard. Uh, people also must be aware of the risks involved when they go on such dives. They do and they sign a waiver and I think I mentioned that yesterday I got a copy, I saw a copy of the waiver online and in the opening paragraph the risk of death is mentioned uh, three times. And just a final one on the Titanic says Patricia, it is a graveyard end of, leave it be tourists should be nowhere near it, sorry I have no concern for the rich entitled people who think they can pay to view and then boast about seeing an underground grave, more fool them ah, they're humans at the end of the day and, and I know and I've, I've seen that argument uh, put forward but you've got to feel there there are five human beings trapped in what looks like to be a small van and you can't but help think of their families uh, left behind as well You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast Phone and text lines are currently closed. Staying on the Special Olympics, thanks to Keith uh, Woodgate, has uh, just giving us the heads up. Two local athletes won medals today at the Special Olympics. I mentioned Nicola Dwyer won bronze in swimming, but uh, Keith has been on to say that Keen Kelleher won silver in kayaking. So congratulations uh, to both of them. There will be a hall of medals, I'm telling you, on that plane when it arrives uh, next, um, early next Monday morning into uh, Dublin. Now let's go to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Jane Pickett joining me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are uh, welcome. Let me start straight away with a question that's relevant. And actually, I think something similar came in last week. This is from Kat. Uh, Please, could you ask Jane, what can I give my dog when there's thunder? She's getting very stressed during any thunderstorm activity. Would rescue remedy help? Or is there anything else I could consider? Mm, this is always a big concern when we go through a space of kind of thundery and lightning weather. And I, I can see it in my own dogs as well. My heart goes out to the listener because I, you know, I'm right there with you. One of my own dogs is really not a fan of thunder and lightning. There's been a lot of it around recently. And, you know, it can be quite stressful watching them being stressed. You really feel for them. So it's not a nice thing. Um I suppose what I would suggest is it's best to manage their environment as best you can rather than medicate them unless they really need it and then under the guidance of your vet. So the things I would normally suggest are make sure they're secure inside, don't be letting them out off the lead because if a clap of thunder or lightning happens and they run off, they'll run off and get lost. Um, so make sure they're inside when any storms are going on um, and, and, you know, nice and secure. Try and create them an area in the house that's like their little den so if they're crate trained or something like that, the crate is perfect because if they like to go into that and that's their safe space, you can make it a little bit more soundproof by putting some blankets and pillows and things like that around it, which can help to kind of dampen the noise of the claps of thunder a little bit. Um, but I, I think really for them, you need to be guided by what they want to do. Some dogs will want to be with you and be really, really clingy, in which case that's OK. I think the main thing you can do is stay calm. So don't be kind of looking stressed out or, you know, constantly checking in on them um, because
because they'll interpret that as my owner is scared so I should be scared so just try and remain nice and relaxed even if you have to put on a bit of an act and um, but some dogs will want to hide away themselves so if they hide away in their kind of den area or a quiet area a back bedroom or something like that you know leave them to it just make sure that they're checking checking occasionally from a distance on them have a little chat from a distance but don't try and forcefully move them to be with you if that's not what they want you really just have to be guided by them put something on in the background as well some classical music or the tv that you're watching and play it a little bit louder than usual just to kind of temper the sound a little bit too now if all of those things don't work for your pet there are a number of different things you can do i suppose one thing you can do is desensitization so sound desensitization if you look on on kind of various of the music providers you'll be able to find kind of thunder and lightning sound desensitization for pets or you used to be able to get cds back in the days where we all used to use cds but that's a long-term fix that's something that you can play you know when when there is not storms going on that's a long-term project for next year when those storms rock around again get them used to the sound but sometimes it can be the vibration that bothers them and that's not something we can really train or habituate them to So if your pet is really worried, I probably wouldn't recommend homeopathic treatment and things like rescue remedy um, or other herbs. We don't really know if they're safe for pets and we don't really know if they're effective, if they do anything. But most importantly, we don't know what the toxic limit is. So for a lot of those homeopathic remedies, a lot of them will have an upper limit of a dose for a human. Um, and that can sometimes be quite well established. But we have no idea for pets. And, you know, pets come big, small, furry, short hair, you know, very, very different as a species. So it's impossible, really, um, unless you're doing kind of a scientific drug to know exactly what's safe and what's effective. So I wouldn't encourage homeopathic treatment. If you're really worried that your pet gets super, super anxious and you feel it's really impacting on the quality of life, it may be time to have a chat with your vet. We would never really recommend full on sedation for storms or thunder and lightning. But there are some medications that if your pet is extremely anxious and it can't be environmentally managed, that your vet may be able to prescribe in specific situations to take the edge off a little bit. But it's not a long term solution. But if that's something you're concerned about, have a chat with your vet. They'll discuss the situation and see if that's something that might be appropriate to help your pet out. OK, listener says my one year old neutered, wormed and well fed Tomcat has started to lose weight. I've also noticed is sleeping a lot more why is that was neutered six weeks ago okay that's a little unusual if he's just been neutered i'm going to take the liberty of assuming he's probably a younger cat um sometimes they can begin to lose weight in the summer if he is a young male cat they are big hunters they will go out and about sometimes they'll you know change their circadian rhythm massively so that they become almost nocturnal um they can begin to lose weight purely because they're exercising and hunting so much but it is really important that if you've noticed weight loss and your pet is not active like that or you feel they're in any way unwell in themselves that you visit the vet um, and just to get him a really good check over, you know, with younger cats, it doesn't tend to be, you know, a big flag for serious issues, but we always don't want to do them the injustice of missing out on something big for them. So if you're concerned about your pet and you feel he's changed, it's always best to err on the side of caution. Um, but as I say, you can sometimes get weight loss during the, the summertime when they're super active and you can get changes in sleeping pattern as well. So sometimes they can become nocturnal hunters inside in the summer. They're out and about having all their fun in the evening hours. So it can appear that they sleep more during the day when we're awake to see them sleeping but again sleeping more lethargy fatigue can be signs of serious illness so it is 
it is important if you have any concerns about your pet to check get, get yeah, that checked it, out it might vet. be as you say it might be nothing but better off to get, get, get it checked now somebody wants to know uh, when a pet dies what options are open to the owner in terms of the remains and what happens to the remains do local vets provide a service Oh, so this this is um I suppose uh, yeah it's a really interesting one I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are curious about curious about yeah. this one but when the time comes you know it's a quite a difficult thing to ask or to comprehend so there are a number of options I suppose the the most traditional one is um having having the pet come back home with you after they've passed for burial now that might be feasible for some people in if they you know own their own house their own land um, and that's kind of permissible in your area that may be feasible but sometimes people who live in an urban area or you know don't own a property that may that may not be feasible so in those situations or if you just prefer if burial is not the route that you'd like to take for your pet cremation is a service that most veterinary practices can arrange okay so um i think it's really important to do this through a vet because generally veterinary practices will have a really good working relationship with the crematorium that they use and know exactly kind of that it's to a good standard and that your pet is treated with respect and and i think that that's that's really really important that we do you, do, that. do you get ashes back you can do oh. so usually there's an option well, where i suppose one option would be that you'd say goodbye to your pet at that point and not get any ashes back but yeah. there are there are options with most crematoriums that you can have a, a private cremation and have your pet's ashes back and sometimes people will get those back in what's called scatter tubes so that they can scatter them somewhere like we would scatter a person's ashes and sometimes you can elect to get them back in in almost like a little casket sometimes with their name on top it varies oh, from, from crematorium to crematorium but your own vet will be really well aware of what the options are with the crematorium that they work with and usually let's say from from the point at which your pet passes away your vet will be able to arrange that and organize that with the external crematorium in most cases what i'd say is you know don't be afraid to ask the question i know it's a really nervous and i suppose really worrying time if that is on the horizon for you and your pet um but there are lots of options out there i'm sure there'll be something to suit you and your pet to give them i suppose the 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 risk i suppose the 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 respect that they deserve in in as they pass and provide you with some comfort so don't be afraid to ask your vet it's a question we're very used to being asked and we'll be able to have a good discussion with you. Got to be the hardest part of your work, Jane, is it uh, when that end know, of life? It's it's not easy. It's not easy. And I think it's just the impact that I suppose the pet passing has on the family yeah. around them is, is some of the hardest stuff to see. But I think the thing is they have that impact because they were so well loved. And mm. that's lovely because they've had a wonderful life with them. Um, and, and, you know, I think pets add so much to our lives and we add so much to theirs. And I think for we all wish they'd live as long as humans. That'd be brilliant. But the sad thing is that they don't and their life is fleeting. But I think in a way it's really helpful as as a vet, although it's very upsetting being involved when, let's say, pets are helped on their way to pass away. It can actually be, I suppose, it's great to be able to give them some dignity in their passing. Um, and that's really helpful that we can avoid any suffering or deterioration in the quality of life. So it is tough, but, you know, it's it's a it's a privilege to be able to help out with. OK, OK. And just very finally, um, and I, I don't know how you can answer this, but uh, your namesake, Jane in Mallow, has been on to say she has cats, uh, but they've noticed there's a fox visiting their garden. Now, he doesn't seem to bother or attack the cats in any way, but she's wondering, should she be concerned? If, if the fox doesn't seem bothered and the cats don't seem bothered by the fox and the cats are all adult, I think that's a key thing. Um, so they're kind of big and bold enough to be able to take care of themselves if there was any bit of a standoff. 
it may not be a huge concern. Now, that said, I temper that with, I have seen some fox attacks or some wildlife attacks of an un- unidentified nature. So, you know, I keep a little bit of an eye on their behavior. Just be sure that your 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 pets are kind of, I suppose, monitored and you know where they are. I think the likelihood is if they're not bothered with each other, they're probably just going to go about their respective days and largely ignore and not interact with each other. But um, just just err on the side of caution. Keep an eye. Yeah, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I, I had a cat in Westcourt that was killed by a fox. No, it was a young, it was oh, a young uh, kitten. Yeah, and it was heartbreaking. Anyway, yeah. listen, we wrap it up there. Listen, have a great week and we'll chat to you again next Thursday. You too. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for that. Jane Pickett, the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket and they're part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where we leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.